Hey, you're listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 52, and today I'm chatting once again with the inimitable Zach Brock. So I've been doing these little catch-ups with some of my um, ex-guests, well, ex-guests, some of the guests that I've had in the past, um, and Zach was on my list of people I really want to talk to again, and I've been asking them uh, to answer one of these three things, either to tell us their favorite jazz violin recording ever, their favorite, or their favorite jazz violin solo, specific solo, or to just give a piece of advice to uh, budding jazz violinists and improvisers and Zach chose to talk about the album Man of the Light by Zbigniew Seifert which uh, was really interesting for me to hear about because I don't know it that well I know a little bit I spent a bit of time listening to it but it was really interesting to to hear him talk about it hey um before we go on to this episode I'd just like to say if you want to support the podcast you can do so via Patreon um, and that's also a place that you can uh, get involved in my jazz violin practice club. It's basically like a little weekly uh, session where we practice together on Zoom. It's something that I started over the pandemic, but it's become this thing that's just part of my life anyway. I really enjoy doing it and uh, I get a lot out of it. And so do the people who join me. So you can, you can join me on there for a small fee. And that means you can get involved in the practice club. You can practice along with me. Uh, once a week on a Monday. So, okay then, without further ado, please give it up for Zach Brock. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just, uh, yeah, getting on with life. What's happening with you? Um... Sussing out my sound situation. Does it sound weird or does it sound okay? It sounds okay. It might be. What what, what is uh, what do you think your sound situation is? Um, I'm just hearing that mic's not on. I should just have this. I think I just have this mic closer to my mouth, and I'm not used to hearing it. That Can you touch the mic? Yeah. For, that's definitely that. That's definitely that mic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, there's a guy with a giant leaf blower right outside my window right now, but I have uh, turned on a bit more noise suppression than I than I usually do. So I okay. hope that you're not hearing. It sounds like a sounds kind of like a like a circus act with the people that ride the motorcycles around I see. the cage. I see. Okay, you know I can't hear that. Um, what do you do? You go in through a mixer with with uh, with things like that on it, or because I go straight in through my uh, sound card. Yeah, I I am I have been shedding a new setup because I'm going to be leaving for a long time, and I have to be. I just want to be portable and up and running and everything. So yeah. in February, I got a used Apollo Twin X. Nice. And I'm just. Uh, I actually figured somebody showed me how I could also connect my old. Um, 
rack-mounted ensemble uh, via an optical cable. So I, you know, expanded um, capabilities here. Although there's some things about that that you find out like, oh, that's cool. You can easily expand the, the ports, but um, if you want to record at higher than 48K, it you can't do it. Ah, uh, okay. Like you know, so if I'm trying, if I'm doing high res stuff right now, I'm just kind of stuck on this uh, Apollo Twin. But hey, maybe I'll make millions of dollars and then I'll get myself a <laughs> a wider one so that I can use two microphones and a vocal mic. I'll spend three thousand dollars to do that. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I keep I keep needing to make do a bit of a setup change, but for the moment it works. It's just what for any time I have to actually do anything recording that isn't just my voice. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've got the best setup. I don't have the right stuff for it, you know. Sounds it's good. All... I like that mic. I think I told. Did, did you have that the last time we talked, or did we just do it on the phone? This one. That thing looks like a lightsaber. It does look like a lightsaber. It's uh wait why I've forgotten what it's called. Have you seen these before? They're they're British British made. Yeah, well, you guys make the best mics. Well, you and the Germans. It's a... uh, the Germans are the ones. What's it? It's an Aston. So you know, it's not a. But didn't you guys make the uh, the Coles? Isn't that a? Isn't Coles a? Don't know. I think that Don't those. Know. I think they are. Right. And they're they're famously. Uh... Oh wait, am I getting the Coles? No, it is the Coles. They're made with some. The original ones. Uh, part of the element is actually got a type of sheep hair, that <laughs> is only. You can only find in a certain breed of sheep that's only found in Northern England or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, it's for real, like a real oh, thing. I need to check that out. And yeah. Northern sheep, Mike. And they sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sheep. getting, you know, wanting those mics when, do you remember when Hilary Hahn put out that album called In 27 Pieces that was yeah. all the, right? And it was that amazing album cover and then this just super rad and yeah. I just thought it sounded so great. And I remember that there was a YouTube video done by the record company promoting the album and with the little behind the scenes thing. And I her violin sound, I mean, it's always great, of course, because it's Hilary Hahn. But for me in particular, that record, there was something about it that was um, so clear and so direct. And, I, and you could see in the recording, of course, they have you know the distance mics, the over you know overheads, but right in front of her, and not at an angle, but actually straight up, stereo pair of coals, hmm. and they're very distinctive because they look like a, they look like a pancake flipper. What am I saying? All right, know, oh. they, those black. I know what you're saying. Those things, yeah, and they just sound freaking awesome. I mean, especially yeah. if you have. I'm sure like a, you know, a very aggressive violin sound that's sort of meant to pipe over an orchestra. It's hard to, but somehow those things, I mean, she was close. She was, it seems like she was within about that far away. Mm. Anyway. You, you, so you, you seem to know quite a lot about like recording stuff. Is, that, is it something that you've just got to know through time? I th yes. <laughs> Essentially, like... yes. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not something that I ever really, I don't feel like I ever had an, enough drive and money and vision to pursue that all at once. But I did get some, some really helpful tips from people along the way. Uh -huh. um, one of the first 
helpful things, helpful bits of advice I got. I've got it scrawled somewhere in a notebook and I've also transferred it somewhere digitally to a note. Um, Was three EQ mic tips that Mark Feldman gave me. I see. Um, And it was, yeah, it was notable to me because, you know, he's staunchly mic only. Um, even though actually a lot of people don't know this, but back in the seventies and eighties, Mark was, was, uh, playing through tube amps and chorus pedals and stuff like that. Right. Lugging around New York. But, um, yeah, so he basically gave me these three tips of sort of, uh, for violin up, up around, you know, 2.4, 2.5 K, 750 and, you know, I guess 80 Mm-hmm. Or it's something like that, you know, but a little what, tweak up, a tweak up or a tweak down. It all depends. So okay. it's, it's more of just the way that, that, uh, and, and I think that he, he got this information from the recording engineer who I don't want to say the wrong person. So I just won't say his name, even though he's a super famous person. He's also the, the head of the New York recording Academy, I believe, or something, okay. maybe part of NYU or something, but um, I feel like it's Jim Anderson, but I'm probably getting the name wrong. But he gave Mark these tips. And so it's, it's uh, the top end is, you know, is your sound dull or muffled or too bright? Mm. You know, it could be one. And then in the middle, is it, is it too uh, like this, too honky? Or uh, is it lacking body or fullness? Yeah. And then the bottom end is like extraneous noise, maybe a little bit more heft, but I think probably more like bow noise. Okay, yeah. Okay, so like what is it bow noise is in like the, the sort of fuller sound, the fuller bow noise? Bow noise it seems like, to be, oh. it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of really even happening almost below the, I don't know if this is possible, but it seems to be right around or below the actual lowest resonating frequency of the instrument. So, you know, and especially... Acoustically, do you, really? That's crazy. Yeah, because it's... Well, I mean, it's maybe not necessarily the acoustic properties of the violin, but also at that point of of the bow and the microphone. I don't know, but you know that, that bow thump. And and actually, that's yeah. really kind of more of a problem for when we use pickups. Pickups. That's what I was. That's what I, you know. When you said that, I was, that's what I was thinking of. I'm, I know that bow thump from pickups. Yeah. Quite well. That sort of I quite like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely like, it, it gives a punch. So sometimes if you get rid of it totally, then you're like, well, okay, I've I've gained something in in uh, realism, but I've lost something of the magic. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, yeah. I mean, do you record with a pickup when you record? I'm ask, I'm actually asking, knowing that you have you have done. I don't know what you know. I'm yeah, doing those questions no, I... when you when you know, <laughs> sort of know the answer, but um, you do record a bit with a pickup, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, on on my records, the sound well, like on the, it sort of depends on what sound I'm going for, and on my latest record. I've just gone full on electric. And even though I used for the recording, 
it's a hundred percent acoustic violin, you know, but with a pickup, you know, it's not solid body or anything like okay. that. Um, ah, but uh, you haven't taken any, uh, and you've not got any mic. It's just a pickup sound. Uh, I think that we did use mics, but it's more, that was, I mean, for, for the new, for the new record, it's more of a question of, we captured everything and then yes. really pared it down. Yeah. Um, for the crisscross records I did where I was trying to sort of hone in on whatever jazz sound I was going for at the time, I was trying to do something a little bit different than I'd done on my earlier records. I was just hearing something different. And that was what well, I learned that from Mike Marciano. I mean, I really credit him, that great engineer um, who used to be at Systems 2, with hipping me to how we could create this sound using pickup and electronics you know however i'm modifying the pickup sound a little bit usually there's usually just a little bit of delay on that i wasn't using any i wasn't using phasers or anything like that or distortion um but can get into that but then also having um a good a good mic sound and then being able to go in and the mixing and create your perfect idea um, yeah. of that and and for the mic stuff it was always ribbon mic mm -hmm. and condenser mic mm. um but, and the condenser every time i listen to, to my violin actually both violins that i've played you know within the past 10 years i hear it through a condenser a large i'm sorry large diaphragm condenser not a small diaphragm. I use a small diaphragm condenser all the time, like a little Neumann cam. I have a cam 150, again, at the recommendation of Mark Feldman. Um, What's that? What is a cam? What's that? A cam 150 is this. Uh, oh, let me see. Ah, nice. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's a small diaphragm condenser mic you take that and, around with you for live did you say is that right um you can use them live because uh, okay it again it it really depends like mark would use this or you know if he's at a jazz fest and he can use it have it they have a sheps or something like that you know he's gonna use that but um you know it's small enough that you can fit it in most violin cases and as long as you wrap them up you can you can take them around um the 150 a lot of people, like, they're not made anymore. You have to get them used. But I think they fell out of favor because they have a slight upper mid-range bump that the ones that are now in production, the, what are they, 184s or 180s or whatever they are, don't really have. Um, but it happens to be this little lift right at a place where it gives an acoustic violin a little bit more guts so if i if i have to use just one mic oh and these are also you know these you can switch out the capsules um for different things this is a hypercardioid capsule okay. so yes you can use it for live um they're really hot so it's always a nightmare whenever i'm working with a sound person that I don't know and might be of questionable uh, experience, they, they plug it in and just immediately explode feedback all over everyone because they're really sensitive. Um, anyway, but Mike's thing 
was to use a ribbon and a large diaphragm condenser. And then we listened to that. And the large diaphragm condenser, to me, it just it gets all that really intensely, which I don't really want to hear. But it's amazing when you take it out and then add a little bit back in. You're like, ah, oh, that sounds so much more three-dimensional and uh, alive in a certain way. And then the ribbon, you know, gives you that really nice, uh, I don't know, they just have that kind of high-end roll-off thing that just works well for the violin. It has that sound and, yeah. I, but I do find, see, I've got a sort of, it's like a modern, not really a ribbon. It's from, what the hell is it called? Art. Uh, oh, the GA, the GA project. You heard of okay. those? They're sort of budget, my budget mics, but they do sort of like sort of pretending to be a ribbon. But I find that that ribbon sound, and and I've found it when I've recorded with nice mics as well in studios. Just the ribbon alone doesn't quite do it. You need a condenser to give you that sort of feeling of of like having a modern recording, basically. You know, it's true. It's true. Yeah, they can be. Um, I think you know. Again, I'm talking well outside my sphere of experience of, of knowledge or <laughs> I wouldn't say experience but you know actual knowledge of this stuff yeah. but you know the I believe that most of the microphones that people hear on the recordings of I mean the old classic recordings where people have this kind of burnished sound I mean my ribbon mics were kind of a thing. Like that's sort of what I think mo almost all of them were or how, how, you know, they were manufactured. Um, but yeah, I, they, they can, they can, it depends on your violin also. It depends on your violin a lot and it depends on the room that you're in. And it also, what I was going to say is a lot of it has to do also with the preamp that you're running it through. Cause it's, they're real, they're real finicky. I've heard. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. But I find that the new ribbons are better at splitting the difference. Like I've, I've actually, I've got this one ribbon that I've been using now for a, a year, couple of years that actually unfortunately was broken at the Snarky Puppy recording and I'm getting it fixed right now. Yeah. But it's a, it's a strange anomaly in the realm of ribbon mics because it's a, it is a hypercardioid ribbon. Okay. And it's really a tight beam but what mm. it picks up is is really nice and i was going to say the the modern ribbons i think that they're able to have less they definitely have less high-end roll-off yeah yeah like the royers and stuff i mean i can't afford a royer <laughs> you know a pair of royers that would be nice or coals for that matter um this mic that i've been using is uh aea mm-hmm out of California and they, um, I think that they kind of built their reputation in creating modern, modern versions of the classic RCAs. So like the classic sort of barbershop looking one that Frank Sinatra is pictured in in many of his early pictures. And then the one that looks like the big pill or UFO or spaceship yeah, or anything else you want to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's actually the one that Mike Mike used a real authentic RCA for those the crisscross recordings. I fell in love with that sound, mm -hmm. and that Mike actually had a story 
which was that 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 was John Coltrane's RCA. Oh well, really? You it was the yes. RCA that he used. It was That's it was cool. his it was his RCA that Ravi ended up with. Ah, uh, okay. And um, it was always broken, and Ravi never really got to use it. And it, he was recording at Systems Two all the time, and he and Mike were talking about mics and, and you know what do you have and, and this and that and he said I've got this thing and if you fix it up and and keep it in good condition you can just sort of have it on permanent loan nice. so um, I mean that's that was always just really exciting to me and then also the funny thing is after I got super excited about that being Coltrane's mic I found out that I think that Coltrane didn't ever really use it because he thought it was too dark for his sound. Right. <laughs> so he actually used it. He just owned it, you know. Right, okay. But it yeah, it's not it's not the okay, blue okay. train mic or something okay. like that. Okay. But it's, that's enough, isn't it, you know. It's enough. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like, hey, I've got John Coltrane's fork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of 71 that he had in a 10-year span. Yeah, man. Hey, um the premise of this uh, this episode is I don't know if I, I sent you it in the in the message. It's uh, rapid fire or something, right? Well, I just wanted to I wanted to have an excuse to talk to some of my old guests again because because you guys are all wicked. Um, so and I feel like I should go along with this excuse a little bit at least. So, but anyway, the excuse was either so you get you get to choose one of these the answers to these one of these questions. Okay. Your favorite. Or, you know, a recording, a jazz violin recording that has meant a lot to you. Um, or one or a number of pieces of advice for a beginner violinist who is first starting out. Sorry, not beginner violinist, but beginner improviser. Yeah. Uh. Um, or, sorry, the other one was... A very not even just recording a specific solo, a solo that has stuck with you, that you know uh, it could, doesn't have to be violin, but mm. one of those things. Man, today I'm yeah. gonna go with "Man of the Light" by Zbigniew Seifert. Nice. And I'm going with that today because of a few things that are at the top of my mind right now, which is overall concept of the sound of the record, compositions, and the improvising. Mm -hmm. um, that record, for me, there's things about that record that certainly are, are imperfect. I don't think that the actual violin sound that was captured on that record was probably the best sound that could have been captured. Um, you can hear a lot of the, of the, the piezo pickup. I mean, and, and also he could have just been experimenting with stuff, but it's, it seems kind of almost like a recording, you know, like how in this in the seventies, bass players all started just recording direct piezo. Suddenly, it was like these amazing bass yeah. players that were just you know legendary, and then suddenly in nineteen seventy six, they just sounded like trash. 
<laughs> like, what, what happened? You know, it's like, yeah, man, we've got this thing. It's called a pickup. And I mean, whatever. They'd had pickups for a while, but. It sort was, of created some bass players, though, didn't it? Like that sound, like some people, oh, that, that is their sound. And yeah, like a brown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, the, the, rubber, the electric rubber band. So Man of the Light, I, I first heard about Zbigniew Zeifert when I got this record called New York Rendezvous by DDA Lockwood. Mm. And this all all of this can be traced back to this CD that was that was put out by Verve Jazz in Japan I think like Sony Verve Japan they did this series in the 90s called Jazz Club did I already tell the story in your last podcast <laughs> keep doing it man I maybe but I, I don't think yeah. so I don't think so. I haven't talked about this for a while, but yeah. so there was a series that they put out of compilations that were really good. Um, they were particularly good. I'm sure that we, you know, we've all had these experiences of getting, checking out certain compilations. Well, back when people used to buy CDs, but also on some playlists now, that, you know, some of them are good and some of them are really bad. And you're just like, how, what is it, how did this even get picked? What is the criteria for this? And does this person making this playlist or compilation have any idea about what they're doing? Or are they actually an algorithm and not a, and even a, a person? Um, these were good. So there was jazz club piano, jazz club guitar, hmm. jazz club vocalists, you know, jazz club drum, you know, every, all through the instruments. And there was this jazz club violin. This is how I became aware of Zyphert. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tie this all into why I'm picking this record today, because I don't think I probably talked about that the last time. No, you didn't. Um, and uh, so that was when I heard, first heard Didier Lockwood. And I was already very into Ponty and, of course, Grappelli and Venuti. And um, I was getting into Stuff Smith and, and things like that. And... Um, I heard, and Didier, there's a, there's a version of him playing Autumn Leaves on this that just really blew mm. me away, both for the, the approach, because there's, there's bebop, but there's also a lot of pentatonic, and there's like some inside-outside playing that just seemed very um, modern um, sounding to me on the violin. Yeah. And also his violin sound was pretty rad. It mm. was very tube-amped out. I mean, so it's definitely a pickup, but it's it's coming through an amp that is, you know, I, either cranked or a low wattage amp. And it it to me, when I heard that sound, I thought, man, this is sort of a violin sound in some of the the best ways of those really classic guitar sounds. Uh, you know, why why you know if you just pluck a guitar string, it's not necessarily gonna be incredibly evocative depending on who's doing it but sometimes i mean the equipment as we know is really part of the instrument yeah you know it's 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 definitely part of the sound and knowing how to work with it so i heard dda playing i and so i became a, a, you know as much as i could a dda devotee although it was very difficult to find anything um and so then when i finally found this jazz club violin i'm sorry well the new york rendezvous record Mm. That's when I first heard this pianist Dave Kukowski, mm. um, who now I'm I'm 
I, I play with. Oh, um, cool. And it's amazing. And, you know, he sounded awesome. The record is awesome. It's my favorite DDA record of them all by far. Like, mm. by, by far. Uh, Dave Holland, Peter Erskine, Dave Liebman, yeah. Gil Goldstein, Dave Kokoski. Yeah. Sick record. And really cool tunes. So, um, Roy Haynes, I was when I was living in Chicago. Roy Haynes came through Chicago all the time and showed up at a jam session after... Uh, his gig with his band and Dave Kokoski played with Roy Haynes for decades. And so I remember being really, <laughs> this is how, this is how out I was. Um, I was so focused on this, you know, this thing that I went up to Dave Kokoski at the bar and I, you know, complimented him on his amazing playing. And, and then all I wanted to do was talk about DJ. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, you know, he's, you know, he's great. You know, yeah, I think I remember that record. You know, he it's like one of those guys that makes so many records that it's hard yeah. to remember what record. And he said, yeah, you know, the guy, the, there's like, oh, you, you like, you like that stuff that he's doing on the thing. He's like, you know, you should really check out this guy, the big new Zyphert. <laughs> and, uh, um, I, then that rang a bell because on the jazz club violin CD that I had gotten, a friend of mine got it for me actually when I was a junior in high school, which was amazing. It was like the best present ever. I remember this name and I remember kind of hearing it and just being like, you know, especially when you're really young, I know you're, you're a young guy, but like even when you're younger and you're, you're going for something and just nothing else you don't want to hear anything else yeah you know i mean i it's like you know getting super into bebop and then getting into john schofield and hearing him play bebop and then getting another schofield record where he's not playing bebop and just being like this sucks yeah. i don't you know, that like that's what i used to be like when i was you know 19 years old to be like oh, this is bullshit yeah. um it's funny um yeah, I I sold a lot of me. I did. I also used to do this stuff where I would buy a CD and then I would get mad at it and sell it. You know, like oh, I'm gonna teach you a lesson, not be what <laughs> I want to hear. I'm gonna sell you for. I paid twenty dollars for you. I'm gonna sell you for two bucks. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Uh, so anyway, um, this. So I remember the name and I remember not being moved i just remember loving the the ponty thing on it and loving the the dda thing on it and of course it had great grappelli stuff also and, and, and other stuff it, i mean it, it's an expansive cd i think it even has besides zyphert i think that there's like i think steve kindler is on there and right. all kinds of stuff you know like stuff that is, is, is pretty pretty obscure um for most people okay anyway uh so I listened to him and I was like, cool. And that stuck in my mind. And I went back and I listened to the track and it was this kind of synthesizers and kind of like this echo thing and overdubs. And I was like, I don't know. I don't hear it. I don't hear it. So of course, that's always the pitfall of the, the compilation or the playlist is that, you know, sometimes tunes can be picked i would say that the tune actually that as much as i was saying how great these compilations are which they are um if you were to pick one's big Niv zyphert tune to put on this compilation 
it would not be the song Stillness for Man mm. of the Light. I think that is actually one of my favorite tracks ever now, but right. it is an outlier. It's an outlier. It's not him doing his McCoy Tyner approach on the violin, you know, hard charging, you know, up tempo, burning, you know, burnout jazz kind of a thing. And so I just didn't even know that existed. So um, a few years, it was a couple of years later, and I've probably also told this story because this is the whole Zyfert story. I found a record in a, in, a, in a cutout bin and it was Zyfert's last record. I didn't know it. It just said Passion. It's a silver, actual like kind of shiny silver record with this like paint, blood paint red thing that says Passion. And this weird kind of looks like it's been painted. And um, I just immediately snatched up the record. Number one, because it had his name. Number two, I'm looking at the band and it's, John Schofield, Richie Byrak, Eddie Gomez, Jack DeJeanette, and then a string orchestra um, on some tracks. And I'm like, man. But I'm not picking that record, Passion, even though that's also, I think, a touchstone record. Um, just because it's... Um, that record occupies to me a special kind of a place. It's it's the most intense thing I've ever heard. Like it's hard for me to listen to it or even to to try to learn from it and transcribe it because it's so emotionally uh, heavy. And that's maybe a story for another time. So back to Man of the Light. So when I finally went on this journey of going to Poland with my wife and and she made this short film about us trying to figure out where the you know what what happened to to the Zeifert legacy you know how could someone who you know I thought that he was super just super obscure you know I mean every jazz violin player is super obscure anyway but yeah but in the 1970s MPS records out of Germany right MPS records was uh it's a it's a big deal, you know. It's kind of like the the blue note of of Europe, maybe, you know. And uh, this record, you know, the Passion record was on an American record company that was really big, Capitol Records. So that was the thing I just couldn't figure out. I say I, I was, why? How is it possible that there was a jazz violin player? That was oh, and by by the way, as soon as I started listening to the record Passion, um, and started hearing the 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 different approach, how different, it, distinct it was, you know, different from uh, Ponty's approach. It was really its own thing. It was just, it was just, and still to this day, you know. I think you know. I I think of I think like Grappelli, Stuff Smith. Ponty and and Zeifert in a lot of ways of I mean I love all of the violin players these are just the ones that um, have excited me the most um, and I'm always learning more of course I go back and I'm like really checking out Eddie South stuff and I I, I can't even believe it actually you know yeah. a lot of that stuff what's funny but, is you've taken Didier off your is that right I just told you, you didn't say Didier yeah which is sort of indicative of 
you know, what you said, what you did when you were younger. You just, ah, you know, I don't, I'm going to get rid of this one. Well, yeah, so I, so Didier is incredible and is one of the greatest that ever played. And, and uh, um, I love Didier. The reason I mentioned those four violin players for me is because Didier made his own sound, but it really, in my opinion, is a very, well, the early stuff of his is very much like Ponty and Seifert. Mm -hmm. It's a young, really amazing violin player and improviser and musician um, really dipping into those sounds. And then, of course, later he then embraced his, you know, lineage with with Grappelli and brought that in you know I mean so I mean yeah I mean DDA you know I would put DDA in there you know but in in a certain way like I almost think of DDA in a similar I relate to DDA's playing in in a similar way that I would relate to um, Sven Asmussen right I mean it amazing player um one, you know, one and a half feet in in that classic string, you know, swinging, you know, 1930s sound, but like he's getting into some bebop and stuff in there and like playing the violin amazingly well, too. So it's like not I know I know what you're saying, I guess it's like not so much an outlier in a way, I guess. Yeah. And that's and like. Man, there's been so many musicians now in the in history, right? And yeah. So if you, I get, I guess, I guess it's like Winton might be to a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know. Is that what? Yeah. Is that the sort of thing you mean? As in, like Winton yeah. is like you're like, Absolutely. wow, this is amazing. I want to go see concerts. I, I, you know, but they might not. That might not be your the top person because because Winton is sort of more of a modern player that has taken in things and sort of you can hear quite heavily you can quite heavily hear the influences and you sort of you you're talking about the you know the big four or whatever you want to call it or the big you know yeah I, I I think that you know like for as much as you can hear the influence maybe early on of of Eddie South with Grappelli Grappelli really created and forged, I mean, I I think it's actually inarguably the most distinct violin sound. Well, okay, no, wait, let me back off. Not the most distinct, but certainly the most known, the most ubiquitous, like, this is what jazz violin sounds like. And that is profound to actually contemplate that, you know. it's has a lot to do with the playing has a lot to do with the distribution of the music also. Um, but it's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Stuff Smith. Yeah. At the same time, <laughs> just what, you know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do you even say about that? Like I, I can't, I, it's hard for me to imagine. I put him up on, a pedestal, you know, all of these people, sometimes I wonder whether or not, I wonder what it would have been like to, to meet them or know them. Sometimes when I hear somebody, when something that's that intense of an outlier, uh, 
you wonder if they would have been a hard person to relate to. Yeah. You know, like the sheer force of will and personality to go through. I mean, obviously he didn't, you know, uh, at least from historical record, did not seem to have the most healthy or happy life, unfortunately. Um, you ever spoken to um, Anthony Barnett? No. He's the guy in who issued all of Stuff Smith's, most of Stuff Smith's recordings. Oh, wow. In the later He's like the he lives in he lives in England. He's uh, like the he's just this like stuff Smith guy. And he wow. met him and he spent a lot of time he, he met him when he came to play and then he kept in touch and then he did his biography. Have you ever like read the Stuff Smith biographies, any of those? No. And okay. I, I've had a hard time finding it. And I, I, I remember um I remember do you know do you know Yannick? Oh yeah, yeah, Yannick. He he knows him well. Right. So so when Yannick came uh, and stayed at our house and was hanging out in New York for a long time, um, we went to a bookstore and yes. he found yes he found that book like a hardback version of that book. Yeah. I think he yeah. paid like you know a fair chunk of change for it, and it was it was a real holy grail. Yeah. Um, no, I I would love to to meet. Man, next time you come to London, go to Bath. Oh, not Bath. I actually, I'm not going to say exactly where the guy lives because maybe that's weird. So, but but let me. You know, he'd love to meet you. Probably he knows well, everything let's, about me stuff. And you Smith. Hook up and then let's go. Yeah. You know. Let's, let's do go. that. Hey. Ah, how do you make that not happen? Impossible. Just uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> um. um yeah, I'll, yeah, let's do it because it's uh, he's he's amazing and he's he just he's he knows everything about Stuff Smith. He he did all he did all his bio, his biographies, he did so much for Stuff Smith, wow. and yeah, so it's quite exciting meeting him actually. Um, I had we did it we did a I did a podcast with man, sorry. Anyway, yeah, Anthony Barnett. Anyway, we've 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 lost we we've, we've gone off on we've gone off. Yes, gone that's off. what I do. That's my specialty. Same here, but actually. Yeah. We're talking about. I was talking about Man of the Light. So, um, I finally, I think I um, so I found Man of the Light on record, and um, I just had, this was before they had digitized them, and uh, you know I was playing them into my computer off my record player or something like that. So they sound pretty bad, but. It didn't matter to me because you know that was all um, a vibe, and and then later when we went to Poland, <laughs> I found several different reissues of various people duplicating and selling the record. Mm. Um, the whole thing about what's happened to that music, who owns the rights. Um, it's very, it's, it's, uh, well, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I know that like Mateusz knows more, you know, at this point. That's when I met Mateusz, was on that trip, Mateusz Smoczynski. Hmm. Um, anyway, Man of the Light. I've, finally, there was a, a good reissue done. And um, I think it was kind of under the, you know, the MPS label 2015 or whatever, I don't know. So to me, why violin players that are going to 
get into improvising should should check this record out. Number one, I'll, I, I can just say something for just anybody who is an improviser, and then you know specifically I can address jazz violin players. <laughs> but just as a, as an improviser, band leader, creator, what? Zypher did on this record, I mean, obviously he, he did this in collaboration with his band and, and with the engineers and producer and everything like that, but it is really a, a world unto itself of, of sound and approach that when you think about when the record was made, which I think was 74, see, I said I was going to throw out dates. Hmm. Um, this is the record that that he made before he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. He may have already had cancer, but uh, he, it hadn't been diagnosed. And, and um, it was, you know, whatever you would say, a, a, a audio representation of him with his uh, full strength and physical health. Um, you think about the music that was happening at the time. Uh, one of the things that, I always get excited about is is hearing how he was expressing his voice as a violinist in this in what was happening, you know, in jazz, yeah, um, in in his world, and that had a lot to do with his background. Also notable that Ponty and Didier, and probably you know, well, I know that you know Grappelli played all kinds of instruments. Didn't he play piano and sax or clarinet or something? Definitely piano. Ponty played uh, sax. Yeah, Ponty. I'm saying I, I meant Grappelli. Ah, like, yeah, Ponty oh, yeah. played he sax. Played piano. Yeah. Um, I think I remember reading something in a Stefan biography though, where he said that he used to play saxophone on the street for money, or something like that. Oh, anyway, yeah. but definitely played with his dad for a lot, didn't he? Maybe that was when he was playing with his dad. Okay, I have to check that out. But yeah, Ponty played sax because he was so into he was so in love with jazz and couldn't he couldn't bridge the gap in his mind between what Stefan was doing and sort of what Coltrane was playing on the on the blue note records and, and this and that. And so he had to actually find something in between and also he had to do his mandatory yeah. military service thing, right? And so he did that and uh, and DDA played trumpet and saxophone. Um, and Zeifert was not only a saxophone player, but before anybody knew that he was a violinist, he was the preeminent contemporary jazz alto sax player in Poland. Yes. And that's something else. And again, you know, I remember uh, talking to, uh, we talked to his, his wife and we talked also, I think, to one of his neighbors and a person that he grew up with. And it was like, again, trying to f translate the sound of what he was into. And he just ended up getting really good at sax, even though he was at conservatory working on the violin. And then, you know, he ends up getting in this band with Thomas Stanko, who's the big trumpet star. And they were doing that and making records and touring and sort of getting out from behind the Iron Curtain. And 
And then Stanko said, Stanko, we interviewed him too, and he said, I, I found out, I didn't know that, that Zbigi was a, was a really great violin player. And you know, when I found out, I told him that I was going to kick him out of the band unless he brought in the violin. It was like, you're fired unless you start playing the violin. <laughs> and it was just sort of like the gauntlet is down. Um, it's also interesting to me, there's, there's the very distinct view of jazz and the function of jazz in the Polish culture at the time, being yeah. under occupation. And uh, as uh, I, I think it was Bronik Suhanik, the bass player, said, you know, that we couldn't protest. We couldn't go out in the streets and protest or we would, you know, it, worst case scenario, we might just disappear or best case scenario, they're going to yank our card, our license, which allows us to work like they, you know, had everyone divided up into classes. Mm. And if they just didn't like what you were doing, they would, they would pull your authorization and then you would have to just go work at the rosin shop or something. I don't know, <laughs> or something else. <laughs> I can't imagine a worse job than working at a rosin shop. <laughs> uh, so he said that when we heard, when we heard Coltrane, that, and we heard this, what we identified as shouting, screaming, crying, emoting things that weren't just, I'm here to entertain you and let's be happy and I'll just have a good time, but like some heavier things, that it became something in the youth culture where when they played Coltrane or they played like that and started creating music like that, it was a form of expression that because it didn't have words, it couldn't be censored and it was flying under the radar, but they all knew what it mm. meant. And it, so it became a really strong thing. And that really blew me away to hear that. And then it made a lot of sense because yeah. it's not just that Zyford is, is, a, is a, a fancy violin player, you know, but there's the thing that I was always drawn to and I'm still drawn to is that when I hear him play like three notes, I know that he means business. I know that it's, it's kind of like a do or die type situation all the time. Yeah. Maximum importance of what's going on. That kind of conviction uh, is very rare mm. in, in, on any instrument. Uh, so, but then, you know, in this influence also of Coltrane, you also have people I, being influenced at the time also by Charles Lloyd and by what was going on in the 60s and the hippie movement, the counterculture movement. And all of this, um, I think, had everything to do with the distinct approach and sound of that. They had, had, they had about, I mean, you know, and it was hard for them to get records and they were having the radios blocked out and all kinds of crazy stuff. But, you know, gravitating towards the music of, of Coltrane and McCoy and then Charles Lloyd and then they started meeting people at these festivals and this is the late 60s and, you know, free love and mm. being young and, and, you know, living in a messed up world. Yeah. To me, Man of the Light captures 
all of that. And there's this stuff, it's just like the most smoking straight ahead, but, you know, really, you know, I mean, still, I put it on and I think it, I think that the only thing that's kind of dated about that recording is maybe just some of the sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You that can, I mean? that can not, that can turn people away, can't it? Which yeah, it. for sure. I mean, you know, you hear, and it depends on what version of the recording you hear and you hear that direct bass DI sound and, mm. and Zyphert's kind of playing like that too. But on this, the latest reissue of that record, they seem to have done a pretty good job. I don't know if they were able to get in and do some remixing, if somebody actually has those tapes, because it really did sound different. It sounded less buzzy and, and more real. So on the Man of the Light, straight ahead playing, you've got Odd Meter playing, um, which... There's a lot of people playing odd meter stuff. I mean, all the Mahavishnu orchestra stuff, you know, it's not like people, it's not like violin players weren't doing odd meter stuff at the same time. But it hadn't really made its way into contemporary uh, kind of more straight ahead jazz. It was more of like, oh, jazz rock or fusion or whatever. So he's got this cool medium tempo kind of, you know, 5-4 waltz ish sounding thing man of the light and then with like these really you know this kind of open section kind of like bolivia and then it kind of goes through this gnarly section of changes that are not easy to navigate um and then you've got this song stillness which again you know it's the outlier not only that it's not uh it's not joachim kuhn on piano, he's on the rest of the record, but it's this guy, right? It's is his name Jasper Van Hoft or something like. That? Am I saying the right guy? I don't know. Um, somebody can check me on that. But it's just, I think that one is just. Oh, I'm getting this confused. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Love in the Garden. So there's two outliers on that record. That's another reason why I love this record, is that full band tracks. The stillness record is just bass and overdub violin pads, which they had to do. They had to overdub like these things. That's that's him putting these shimmering stacks of stuff on a tape loop, and the bass is playing, and then he's blowing over it, and um, really creating just a beautiful world in that. And then the other song that I'm talking about that is mind bending that I had not heard was, um, it's called Love in the Garden. Hmm. And that, I think even that track in particular has just some of the most exciting and inspired, um, whatever you wanna call it, mod I don't wanna say modern you know, jazz violin, but uh, whatever it was, the, there's, it's a, the whole thing is very, it's like a big cadenza. It's like a double cadenza with synthesizers and, and, and uh, filters and all this stuff that are making this crazy sound and he's playing that. So yeah, that, that record, you know, and also Man of the Light, going back to the Man of the Light song, the one in 5-4, where they're blown on it. Um, amazing band. It's uh, what, Cecil McBee and Billy Hart with Joachim Kuhn and, and, and Seifert. Um, and then Jasper Van Hoft on the on the on the synth track. 
Um, but Man of the Light has one of the coolest, most badass intro cadenzas. Mm. It's just unaccompanied. And this was, I guess this was probably pretty close to around the time that he did that live concert that they released as solo violin. But oh, yeah. it's, re it's really good. It's concise. In a lot of ways, if, if, there's, if you're a violin player that has not checked out much cipher, if you listen to that track, you, you get a lot of the major elements of techniques that he would employ to express himself. The octave trills and, you know, the fifths and the double stops in the frame, yeah, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's cool because, you know, he does that. And you can just imagine seeing him up on stage doing that. And then the band comes in and they're swinging yeah. in 5-4 and just, you know, the, the yeah. solo is great. It's, yeah. Well, because that, like, that sound, all, that, all those techniques that you're talking about have become, have sort of, they've just become standard in, like, I know the, the modern open, open, close, close, quote. Yeah jazz violin sound mm -hmm. and I, I often think that we some people might not even be playing them because of Zypher in their eyes you know maybe they've got that from Didier or maybe they've got that from other other more contemporary violinists but absolutely a lot of that that language the violin jazz which is, is jazz violin language really isn't it mm -hmm. that's that was started from by by Zbigniew yeah yeah it's it's true I, I, I tried to drill down on some of that when I was talking to these people that played with him. Like one thing that, I think the first thing that I noticed is that he was the really the first jazz violin player really of any of them. I mean, obviously when like Grappelli will play and he'll, he'll get going, like he'll do a trill kind of like at the top of a thing. But it was like Zbigniew was using trills a lot. Mm. Um, and also like a lot of, you know, uh, double stop trills and, and, and stuff like that. And I, I just wanted to know if that was, I was trying to get a peek behind the curtain and try to find out like, you know, what was that? Did he talk about that? Why was he doing that? Because he was aware of maybe what Ponti and, and Grappelli had been doing and he was really trying to go in a different direction or what was that? And I never got it. I never got a very uh, thorough explanation uh, because then the, the people that I asked were just like, well, it was just kind of, it's, you know, like vibrato, just like uh, for expression. I'm like, well, I, as a violin player, I think of a trill. I mean, yes, if you get all Baroque about it, yes, it, it's a, you know, a kind of uh, expression similar to vibrato in a certain way, but it's a different thing. Is a different thing, yeah. It's a different thing, like you know, the kind of vibrato you use versus doing a trill. It um, is, yeah. There's there's that manouche thing though that's that you if like from real like or just that sort of Romany sound of middle in the middle of trill and vibrato, which I think is quite similar to uh -huh. what you're talking about there. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So Zbigniew, that's him. That's that's that, it, man. But you know, I could I could do a whole nother one of these on uh, um, Ponty Sunday Walk. Sunday Walk. From, oh, that's, that's one. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, that's from almost, it's almost, well, it's not 10 years before, but I think it was probably seven years before that. Mm. And Ponty, you know, you see the picture on the front, he's like eating an ice cream cone or something. Yeah. I think he's like, I think he was 17, you know, or, yeah. or, or maybe he was, what, he was 17 when Jazz Long Playing came out. Was, yeah, 17. So he was like 18 or 19. Yeah. Um, so I didn't bring that record in as my as my top today because I don't I'm not engaged with every track as much as I am mm. on Man of the Light. Mm. But I do have to say that Ponty's solo on um oh god I, I, I even recorded it. Now I'm blanking. Is it Sunday Walk? The yeah. I mean, you know, I would have loved to have been able to hear all the different takes of the solo that he took <sighs> on that record. Before that record, and you can hear it, well, you can hear it on the Jazz Long Playing record. And, and now we have access to some of these videos right on youtube that are even more astonishing to me um you know the the, the live playing like you, you saw that one right where he's playing rhythming yes black and white that's messed up yeah, yeah, yeah. like that yeah, really yeah. hurts my feelings when i see <laughs> that the guy is like yeah. 16 years old and and it's isn't it interesting too to see that video and there's things that he was doing technically on the violin within this up-tempo bebop thing that I, he just, for some reason, he just chose to not do them later on, but he had them together. It was like mm. certain double stop things and uh, really technically difficult yeah. things yeah. that he's doing there and deploying well that for some reason that just kind of fell by the wayside for him. But that's crazy. Yeah, I wonder if that's like, you know, back in the day if you're going to be on like television you're going to like you're going to you might prepare something mm -hmm. you might, yeah might be more prepared you know you might have gone like right what's all the stuff i can do yeah so like you know this is my time that to, is true to show it yeah he, he he sort of you know and like that record and then sunday walk is the one that's that's sort of right before he i i I think of this as his wandering period mm. because on those first two records, his laser focused and then, and you hear him also in that, in the, the live organ trio bootleg thing, you know, like that's the classic, uh, round midnight solo, you know, that some violin players know about at least it's been, it's been published. It was in DDA's yeah. book and stuff like that. But um, then he, there's like this wandering period from like 1968 or 69 when he started, when he came over to the U S and he met George Duke and, and Zappa. Mm -hmm. But I think it was even before he was playing with Zappa, he's making those records with George Duke, right? Like the electric yeah. connection and stuff. And they're doing, you know, Scarborough affair, playing yeah. pop songs and really big budget. Like there's big bands and you know all kinds of stuff and the playing is it's always awesome it's always like really you know intense and grooving um but he kind of starts experimenting with certain different things that are just repeating a lot more mm -hmm. 
like he's like really trying to move away from his 16, 17 year old self and he's trying to find out what is this contemporary language. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, it really between like 69, 74, and then he plays on that Mahavishnu record mm. and it's slamming. Yeah. And then like, I don't know if it's the same year or the year after is when he starts his run of records on whatever record label that was, Atlantic. Yeah. Two records in the first year, I think, and then two studio records, and then like another record, and then there's another year where I think there's also two more studio records, and then another record the next year, another record the next year, and then the big live record in like 79. And that, to me, like when you hear him play on Tarantula, that's... Yeah, I don't know that well. Yeah, so it's just this groove. It's just like... It's like literally a vamp. Like that's the yeah. whole tune. But check out, check out the solo that he plays on this. Yeah. And then check out, go on YouTube and check out this crazy TV show that was on the public... TV station in the United States. There was a TV special. I don't know who created it. Have you have you seen this thing? It's called Fiddlers Three. Nope. <laughs> it's something that could have just literally only happened in 1979. <laughs> it's it is insane. So it's a full like full budget camera. You know like just TV experience production live concert starring Jean-Luc Ponty, Doug Kershaw, the Ragin' Cajun, who is like a Cajun fiddler who wore clothes like Elvis and would sort of do a Jerry Lee Lewis thing with the violin. Right. And Itzhak Perlman. Wow. And they all, they each do their own thing. And and maybe they even each did kind of like a, lar- a longer set and then they cut it up for the TV show. I don't know. But they each do their own thing and then they have this ridiculous jam at the end, right? But check out Ponty's solo on Tarantula in the live version. It's, I, I, I didn't, I had not heard this until probably like, Five years ago, it just, you know, it was right. not, I'd never heard it. I just came across it looking at YouTube videos and I was like, oh, is this, they're playing Tarantula. It's like, oh, that's that band. Um, anyway, you'll love it. It's just, uh, and, and, and then it'll be obvious what I mean when I'm saying sort of, you know, from this early like Oscar Peterson out, like super bebopped out thing like the way that he's playing on the don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing yeah. thing when they're the, the jazz violin summit like that era and then this kind of wandering period and then like when like 1975 hits he's got his he's got his um new concept together yes yeah, yeah. And is that so that's you just you'd say that that was around when he was signed to atlantic yeah he he was signed to atlantic about the same time that he did that that Mahavishnu record, it's probably yeah. why he, you know, I, one of the reasons why he only did those two, right? It was like mm-hmm. Visions of the Emerald yeah. and and the Apocalypse or whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, I think about, see, now I'm talking about something else. I, I it, it's hard for, I'm just such a super fan of him, of, of Jean-Luc that it, maybe it's harder for me to say, you know, one particular record. You know what I mean? And also he's, the other thing is, is that Zyphert only made three, he really only made three records and then they released two other ones as, but they were kind of bootlegs. Yeah. You know, he didn't know that they were going to come out or I don't think that he knew that the solo violin record, if, if he knew that, then there was basically four violin records. Yeah. Right. Solo violin, Man of the Light, the one just called Zbigniew Seifert. Yeah. Um, and, and Passion. But uh, Ponty, just starting at night. So okay, I should I should know this, but like okay, I don't I don't know why I should know this, but let, let's I only count count how many records this guy made. So when he's seventeen, jazz long playing, then uh, Sunday walk, and then what? We've got Electric Connection, the Jean Luc Ponty experience. And is there another one? There's, pro I mean, I know he made tons in Europe. I'm just talking about the ones that I know about. You, 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 you know more. Okay, you so to know more. So, I mean, gonna, he's. I I'm, I'm just counting. Be. I'm just counting four, but there was yeah. probably ten. But I'm counting yeah. like four that made it across, you know, the ocean to us over here. You know, four of those, and then. Uh, yeah, he's doing the sideman thing. But I mean, you know, he he probably made it, you know, at least cuz I'm not, I'm thinking of a couple of other ones that I know about that I can't remember the names, but probably at least 7 records between 1967 yeah. and like you know, 74. Yeah. Then when he signed to Atlantic, he starts just putting out an album, a full album of all original music. Yeah every year and some of those years i think two times it's two records and it's not like when he does two records in one year it's not like he's doing a record and then they're putting out a live one yeah it's actually two you know maybe they did them all in like the same recording session and they'd split them up for some reason i i don't know it's a lot though a lot and he goes all the way until like 81 and then and then takes and then he takes a year off of putting out a record, changes record labels, and then puts out a record a year of all original music until until the nineties, I think. Yeah. I mean it's just like so much you know, I I think it's easy as a violin player to get down in the weeds and to think about how we're playing the instrument and yeah. you know what we sound like and how we're expressing ourselves as, as an improviser and i you know i definitely do that and it it really was only in the past you know few years or when i was talking to stanley clark about jean-luc and he talked about jean-luc all the time that i you know he just loves jean-luc and yeah hearing those stories about him and about how he relates to him and the kind of person he is just elevate elevated my my interest and i started just thinking about well besides the way that this guy plays the violin to think about that creative output and again like 
when I was listening to a lot of the Jean-Luc stuff that was there for me to access at the time, I wanted something different. I wanted, I only wanted Grappelli, you know? And so when I listened to that music that he, that he was making, um, you know, my dad was buying me records, you know, or he'd buy me tapes. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like it because it, did, it was not giving me, it was the, I didn't hear the information. I couldn't get it. And I didn't like synthesizers and I didn't like, you know, any of that kind of a thing. And so um, I couldn't hear the amazing violin playing that was right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've, I've, I'm, 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 I have actually stayed similar to that as in I, less so as time's gone on, but definitely when I first, I had the, when I first heard Jean-Luc, I couldn't get it. And then I could get jazz long playing. Cause I was like, okay, yeah, well this is close to what I'm, what I'm used to. And then it took me ages to be able to listen to any of his albums that, that, that weren't, you know, basically jazz long playing and Sunday walk. Yeah. Without being, yeah. And be it's exactly what you said. It's being able to hear the information. Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and, you know, at this point too, and I, you know, you're probably in the same bag, like people that are going to listen to this might think that all we do is sit around and listen to jazz violin records, but yeah. it's definitely not the case. Um, because part of being a jazz musician is being as influenced by other instruments as yeah. you are by your own and maybe yeah. even at a certain point more so. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yes, for, for those of you out there that are, that are, you know, maybe starting out <laughs> this path or maybe, you know, you're solidly in there, but you're only listening to violin players. You're, you're only doing like, you know, 20% of your listening homework. Yeah. But then also the other side is like, I think people do, and I, I for a long time didn't listen to enough violin players. Mm. I think I listened to too, like tried to do that thing too much to mm. to stay away from violin. You know, I don't, I don't listen to violin man. <laughs> I listen, I listen to sax player. You know, it's all good. You know, and I, right. we've all done it. We do have to all do it. But like, we also need to check out this stuff and know That's what's true. happened. Because if you don't know what's happened before, you know, how are you going to move along? you know we got to we got to know the history and and hear that history and absolutely at least check it out you know absolutely and and you know there's violin players out there that are coming up with solutions to musical puzzles that would go totally over the head of a great saxophone player yeah but because we know the instrument so intimately we hear it um we can make quicker leaps in certain ways you know it's mm. it's just absolutely it's always going to be easier to transcribe a violin yeah yeah you know yeah uh, with the exception of Zyfert's playing on the record passion yeah actually with i do think with an exception to Zyfert, Zyfert is actually just like it's it's just you hear it and you're like that guy is struggling yeah but, but it's coming out you're you're feeling the struggle when you hear it, but not in a bad way, in like yeah. a sort of Coltrane sort of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like that, and I think that's what always sticks with me about Zypher is like the struggle is is really there. You can the hear the struggle is there. He's and, he's he's not like the way that the phrase ends 
is never yeah. the way you think it's going to. Like, you know, you get the first half and you're like, okay, I think he's going to do this because that's yeah. what I would do because it feels good. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's like, it never goes that way. Yeah. 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 He's really like the opposite of Grappelli in that way. Like, Grappelli feels good. Everything Grappelli plays, sometimes not, especially early. But, like, as Grappelli got on, moved, got, got older and older, he was just like, you know, man. I'm going to play what feels good. That's how it yeah. feels to me when I hear it. You right. know? And it sounds great and feels good to play if you're, if you're trying to work it out. But yeah, Seifert, the opposite. Just yeah. like always the thing that doesn't feel good and the thing that like pushes, you know. Eat your fiber. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Fun. You know, the early Grappelli stuff, like the really early stuff. Um, so much, like, would you say that, I feel like, he's playing even more like a clarinet sometimes. Yeah. 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 I... Still playing like a violin, but in like his approaches and, and, and the, and the keys and everything that like, you know, they, they were not playing in like string keys. They were playing in horn keys. Sometimes they were playing in horn keys. And actually yeah. that's, that, I think that's sort of what made the difference. Like he doesn't, don't they, doesn't, don't they do, tiger rag in like a flat or like the original key or something yeah like i think so no one would do like in that world who you know people who play that stuff wouldn't do it in that key now no violinists wouldn't because well because it does suck doing that actually to try and get that that sort of open sound but but grappelli could like really play man yeah it's really, unbelievable like really in tune uh yeah uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. A very horn-like, and actually, like, just be really sort of knowing the instrument and not. I don't know. I think like I, as because like through time we've we've heard like loads and loads of bebop, and we've heard like guitarists going like, and we've heard you know Charlie Parker playing all this intricate stuff. Yeah. And when I go to play over a tune, I might hear bebop lines and then but the key might and and like the setup might it I, the lines i want to play might not be tombrally appropriate for whatever is happening around me but that's what i hear and that's what i'm going to play and i'll just do my thing but Grappelli seemed to really understand the tombre of what was going on he was just like well i'm if i play down here in you know in first position sort of the low lower strings most of the time no one's gonna hear me there's this one mic i better just like you know and just does it it's like i don't know i don't yeah it's a and that's when he was young and i feel like that he was very like just very natural just a natural musician you know yeah yeah totally um anyway hey thanks so much for doing this that was that was great i really like you know and you, you you keep being like, oh, I think I've gone off on one, but like that, like, it's, I like people who go off on one. And you know, we're just, we're improvising here. We're, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. We're what doing the... <laughs> this, this ain't no big band solo. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, um, yeah, thanks for doing it. And um, good luck. You're going on tour, right? Yep. Going on Where tour and uh, have a new record coming out. Uh, I think the the first single is gonna come out. 
Well, let me look at my calendar. Is it, is it, this is your record. This is my new record. This is my like Zach going Brock. all in on on just like fully, just like full on electric. And then I'm sure like the next one is nice. going to be like all acoustic. Uh, you know, with some Coles mics. I hope. <laughs> uh, first single is going to come out on May sixth. Cool. Um, I think the record is due out on June third. Nice. And um, I'll um, I might be near you actually. Oh, yeah coming over and I'll definitely give you a shout. Where are you? Where are you? Um, it seems to be slightly changing or undulating every day. So I, I like actually have to sort of check. I need to update this, but let's see, where are we going to be in the UK? You're going to come um, to, if you come to the UK, you're going to be in London, right? We're going to be at Glastonbury. Oh, oh, really? The the festival? Yeah. Wait, with your with your not quartet? with my band with with, no, with Snarky. Yeah. I see. Ah, you're doing Glastonbury. Cool. Okay. And bef and the other dates around that, it looks like Lyon and and Rome. So I I, I thought that we were going to do some more. You're in not going. Yeah. You're not going to do a, a London show. Uh oh. Wait. Hold on. And then we're going to be like in in Glasgow. We're going to be in oh, Bristol, right. Manchester. Okay. Oh, London. London. Nice. October seventh. October. Oh, this is October. Yeah, this is nice. Um, well, I will be actually. You know what? I was gonna come to New York in October. Oh, really? <laughs> but maybe you know you must. You'll Stay probably at my be. Place. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, where are you away for the whole of October? Whole of October. Yeah. Right. Well, I might be away for some for a couple of weeks of that, but I might. Did you say seventh? October seventh. Nice. I'll just put that in. No, just to see. Where are you playing? Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Is it is it the Royal Albert Hall again? No, I don't think so. Uh, right now it's. What the hell? Oh wait, I don't know how to work my own website. Ah, uh, uh, you know, I'll probably find out at some point. Don't worry. Oh, but but I I want to know. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're playing at. Wembley Arena. Nice. <laughs> that's 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 uh, yeah. That's that's like that's a good one. It's a similar to similar to Royal Albert Hall, really. That's gonna be great. Excellent. Um, well, I'm gonna try and come to that if I'm around. If I'm not in New York. Cool. Well, uh, if you are, hit yeah. me up because I I you know I don't have tons of friends in London, and uh, you, you will be my 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 friend list guy. <laughs> Excellent. Wonderful. Well, you know, honestly, I actually think you, you know, have a look, check in, check out Anthony Barnett, Anthony yes. Barnett, and have a think about going to check out this thing. His he has a, a a warehouse, and it's actually sort of closer to. Did you say no? No, you got Bristol. It's in sort of near Brighton, um, and he's got a warehouse of jazz violin CDs. Oh my god! Uh, and that he, that he's, and it's all like all, all these old stuff, Smith things. Like he's got these compilations he's created, like like a bebop violin. Wow! And uh, yeah, there's all this stuff and these these books. Let me just find. Up jumped the devil supplement. Oh yeah. Huh? This. Can you see that? Yes. Desert sands. The recordings and performances of stuff Smith. Oh wait, are these transcriptions? No, 
These are kind of like a, a these litter. are random bits of information, liner notes, like just biography of of Stuff Smith, like wow. the 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 track listings from oh yeah things and and it's just like a source book of uh, yeah. Uh, then there's the, the the recordings of Eddie South. Yeah. So he's got all these books that he's he's that he's written, and he's got all these CDs. Wow. And uh, yeah. So. Thanks for telling me about that, man. I'm I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna be perusing this page. I think he I think he called. I might I've forgotten my own podcast. He either like sent him a letter or called him. I think he called him. Basically, there used to be this like, I think at the back of like Downbeat magazine, there was just like jazz musicians phone numbers something really weird like just back like and he just found he just found stuff smith's number and just called him i was like oh hey God. hey uh can i interview you and he was like yeah yeah i'm coming to london soon and he was actually playing stuff smith came and played at like see to you this isn't that exciting because you live in new york so you can like go to all these places that these people played but like i hear that that like stuff smith played at the old Brasserie's Adele, which is where I do sort of regular gigs. And Amazing. I'm like, oh, shit. That's so, you know, and he know, that, that's exciting. That's yeah. Really cool. Knowing that, um, that Anthony sort of met him there and then did these, he's got, but anyway, Anthony's got all these like recordings that he did of Stuff Smith rehearsing in, in, in like London, you know, rehearsing wow. for the gig. Your record, is it like, um, is it, it's like original stuff? Yep. Uh, it's original stuff. And I actually started, uh, this, this recording began the, the year before the pandemic. And it was not quite finished after our first part of the, of the, uh, of the recording. I was always thinking, well, I want to record a few more tunes and, you know, we'll, we'll get it together. It was very hard to get this band together. It's, it's, uh, Eric Harland on drums Jonathan Marin on electric bass, uh, Justin Stanton on keys, electric keys and trumpet, Mark Letiri on guitar, nice. and me. And, you know, everybody is just really busy. And it's just so hard to find a time when everybody, and not only that, but, uh, you know, also now living in different countries. Justin doesn't live in New York anymore. He's been in Portugal for a while. And Mark's down in Texas, which is like a right. different country. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, for a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, yeah. So then the pandemic happened. And then uh, I just wasn't sure if it was ever going to be finished. And mm -hmm. it was it was kind of a heartbreak for me. And it was I, I even avoided even thinking about it for a while. Um, it was a it was a record that I got excited about. It was after I I had been intensely on the road in 2018 and 2019 with Snarky. I probably did more gigs in those two years than of any of the previous years, and so I was really getting a different sound in my head that was just distinctly different from the stuff that I'd written before for my own records, for the records I did for Criss Cross and stuff like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to do a record that just sort of had this different 
sound and and I actually wrote the right instead of you know writing the tunes you know getting out a piece of paper and writing them on the piano and stuff like that I did the whole thing where I set up you know sequencing and stuff like mm. that which you know it certainly didn't come out at all sounding like a like a you know sequence you know, like when I think of that, I think of actually some of the like Ponty records that where there's like actual sequencing. There's not sequencing on the record, but it was just the I was yeah, yeah. using logic yeah. to 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 sing in things that I was hearing or to yeah. you know try to you know I I was playing the parts and composing it in that way instead of doing it you know just from the from the piano or the sheet or the violin, and it was just a different approach and and what came out for me is you know i'm not saying that it's it's good <laughs> i think it's i think it's good i mean i think it's okay obviously i think it's great no um but i will say that these songs ended up having more um emotional connection for me um that when I went back and I would listen to the demos three years later, two years later, I still liked it. Mm. It wasn't like, you know, like most of the stuff, if I, if I write it and I even go back six months and I listen to it, I'm just like, Oh God, that's so embarrassing. Right. Or like, or I really don't like that or, or, Oh, okay. I'm doing something else. But I just wanted to have these songs be out in the world because yeah. I didn't, I don't know if I was ever actually going to be able to go into the headspace of that again. And then all this time elapsed and I only had like four tunes in the can and it was just really not enough. I didn't want to put out an EP, mm -hmm. you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, after going through such, going to such lengths. Um, but what ended up happening was <clears throat> when we thought that the pandemic was chilling out last summer, there were a couple of, couple of dates there were three dates in the Canary Islands. Like we went from like not playing for two years or a year and a half to suddenly, okay, now come play these dates in the Canary Islands. Uh, this is with Snarky. And um, I was thinking about this record again because I had started in the second year of the pandemic, I started finally just forcing myself to just create music um, at home and started just putting these you know, records out uh, by myself and just putting them out on the internet. Um, so this idea came up about finishing this record. Uh, I had another record that I also finished that was in the can that was a trio record with me and Matt Penman on bass and Obed Calvera on drums. And um, I was talking to Ground Up, the sort of record label, whatever you would call it, that, um, yeah, the record label that Mike League started about if they had any interest in either one of these projects. And I was like, you know, the trio project, like that's brand new, right, ready to go. And I'm, you know, and they're like, yeah, that's cool. But what about this one that you said that you started and it had Eric and, you know, like all these people that played with Snarky and it, yeah. it was piquing their interest a little bit more, which totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, so then I started going back into it again. And what ended up happening was um, they ended up hooking up a way for us to go into Sony Hall, which is, um, it's kind of like around the Times Square area, um, sort of in the area 
where they have like a lot of the Broadway shows and stuff like that. It's a, I don't remember what it was called before Sony Hall, but it's kind of like a cool, big, old ballroom um, thing. And we were able to get in there, shoot a video, and record one more song on one day. And, um, and then ended up booking a gig after that. But like, this is the way I was like, oh my God. So then when that happened, I just w dove back into the record. I dove back into my sequences and, and my writing. And I even went into my practice journals and just my journals, my, you know, and I just started rereading, trying to just pull back the threads of where I was in my head <clears throat> when I had created this music. Um, and it came back actually pretty fast. Um, I probably didn't even need to go that into it, but I just wanted to make sure. Um, and so I, I tried to write a song that was coming out of that, but also more of where I was here. And so we did it, finished the record, you know, mastered it and it's all uh, coming out really fast. Uh, my wife is uh, doing a video for this first one, it's been really challenging because we had two songs that were gonna be the singles. There's the one that we did in Sony Hall in January that's like got the video and, or it's got the live, it's a live recording. So it's like a live performance. But then there was actually the song, another song on the record that I think we all agreed was like, that's kind of the one that mm. sort of encapsulates the vibe of the whole record that's kind of what we should put out first and they had no video right yeah. content no time to make it happen and didn't know what to do and so my wife who's a filmmaker had shot a bunch of stuff of us in the recording studio back three years ago and we she's do, you know pulling together all this stuff kind of creating this story out of the song and then uh on the on that this particular song justin takes a takes a synth solo and um and i i have a solo and both of those solos were actually done not at that recording session like we okay. sort of the recording yeah. session was a lot of mostly laying down tracks with the with the intention of everybody probably going back and doing more stuff. Cause yeah. that was another thing about the record that I wanted to do is that all of my records up into this have all just been, I don't want to say live records, but have yeah. been more like jazz records. Yeah, It's like you get into the studio at noon, you're out by six, Yeah, whatever you can get done in that amount of time. And then whatever you cut in between different yeah. takes, you know, I wanted to, tr to do something different, hoping that that was also going to, you know, help to, create a different sound that I was going for. Yeah. And it definitely did. Um, I don't know if, I think I think the next record I wanna do is gonna be like live acoustic record. But, um, so Justin, you know, did a, did a solo. He actually did a second solo, I think, while he was in the back of a tour bus um, in January. And I had done a solo. And so then actually yesterday, uh, so we have to deliver the video tomorrow. Right. Yesterday, I set up a green screen in the living room. Justin, I was talking to on WhatsApp in Portugal. I got him to, uh, oh, also I created sort of like a shorter version of the song. 
Right. The songs are all quite long. Yeah. So I created like one that was better for, cause you know, nobody needs to watch like a nine minute video. Um, that was actually really fun. So all of our solos are shorter, but still you got to learn your own solo. So Justin yeah, yeah. did his, sent it. And then I had to try to learn this solo. I actually, there's like two solos on that song. Um, and it was really fun. And uh, now I need to go back and transcribe these things that I played on the solos because they're all like probably my best newest ideas that I'm not following up on. <laughs> nice. I need to like do that and then... Yeah follow them through a little bit more. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, there's things that I remember working on and creating these and playing these solos that aren't really totally in my playing yet. Okay. Because it's because you, because you did the solos after the fact. So you could I did the solos after the fact. So, I mean, I didn't write them out. I didn't did, write. I, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, not that I'm opposed to that either, but I just like, I have a, I had a certain yeah. thing where I'm like, okay, well, going to get this can, in. I'll do different takes, you know, yeah. and different approaches, but it has to be something that's like an, an honest improvisation. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, got it. It was, I just never do that, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. As soon as um, you got the, the opportunity, it must be, yeah, it's interesting. Man, you know, it's, it's changing the way that I'm practicing mm. and, and, and not, and again, certainly not advocating moving to an approach of, of then just like preparing all my hot licks and deploying yeah. them, you know, um, I'm kind of, I'm sort of opposed to that. Like I, there's people that I know that do that, that I have a lot of respect for, but I just don't, I can't go there. I'm, I actually can't do it. I don't, it doesn't work for me. If I do it, it just, I just get, I go mad and it just goes wrong and I don't have any fun and I don't, I don't make nice music. I make the best things. Not that I make, great things but i make the best things when it just fucking happens yeah you know different part of the brain yeah it's i think it's the same it's the same thing that like you know when you you know like doing a rehearsal and take do you know taking a solo in rehearsal yes you know that feeling yeah yeah um, i, I think it's like the worst before. the worst i think the the shit the worst thing about being a jazz musician is taking a solo in a rehearsal. I know. I don't know why. It should be fine. It should be like, yeah, man, let's do it. But it's not. It's just like, I don't like it. I'm like, yeah. And then I'm just like, okay, the end, right? And then we'll do, we'll, and, but then you do a solo in front of like one person in a, in a, in a venue and it's, it's a different, it's a different world. Yeah. And that's the same thing. That's actually one of the things you know, I, I have a short list of things that are, are kind of going into my, this is what I'm going to shed while I'm on tour. And actually when I'm on tour, I probably have more time to shed than ever because I just don't have anything else to do. Yeah. You know, um, one of it, one of them, although we never rehearse in Snarky Puppy, but it's great that you just mentioned that because I tend to suck really bad or even worse than I normally suck in rehearsals. And um, I have played though with musicians, like really great musicians who kill it in rehearsal. Yeah. They, they, play the, they play the shit out of it. And it's like, and every time it happens, I feel it and I'm like, oh man, hmm. what I'm holding back. 
there's something I'm not giving and this person is 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 giving it up yeah in yeah rehearsal. and it's you know I mean it, it can it's a question of personal approach and, and taste and, and or not taste just personal approach to rehearsal but something that I want to be not doing is being lacking intention um, in, in rehearsal from here on out I've, I've heard myself do it enough you know like I've I've gone yeah. over the same ground too many times. I, I I honestly think it's a it's a personality thing, you know. Yeah, not, I don't know right. if it is with you, but for me, I'm just like I know that like I can only turn on that like performer thing when there's someone when someone is asking for it, <laughs> right? And like I don't know, it's I can't I can't take a solo for a video on my own that's going to be anywhere that might be good it might be fine but it's not going to be the same thing as when someone's watching for me it just isn't i no. can't i don't get that same feeling of like it's just you don't get that same feeling I, there's there's lots of there's lots of uh, you know things we could liken it to but i don't know it's for me it's uh it's just i don't know maybe 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 it's trying to get out of that it's a bit it's being a bit I, for me i think i'm like too british about it i'm like oh god you know no one wants to listen to that you know for god's sake we're, we're, i feel but i you know <laughs> i'm definitely not british and i feel the same way yeah i mean at some point i guess i was british um <laughs> but uh yeah i mean yeah i totally relate to that i com mm. i completely relate it's it's not it's really not in my personality to like go full alpha in rehearsal. Yes, and I think yeah. that like I can just about do that if I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm up for doing that when there's a room of people up for. Maybe listening. maybe we need to be more drunk in rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe there's something to that. Yeah, just one beer or whatever, you know. Just yeah. one, just a couple. Yeah, maybe um, that's why people do that. The, the the other thing that I've I'm taking on the road with me is you know I've I've been um, did we talk about this and I get no kickbacks from this at all there there's this app called Modacity have you seen this thing no I love this thing I mean I've I have been using this now for well over five, I've been using it for five years I think because I remember I was using this when I was teaching at Temple University. And I did talk to the person that was the head of Modacity to see if I could get a license that my students at Temple could use. Right. It's a, it's, in short, it is a music practicing app. But the whole thing about it is that in order to use it, um, you have to sort of organize your practice time a little bit. Yeah, you know, just just to use it. I mean, you don't you, you can I've come up with a lot of different workarounds. So sometimes I mean, I have certain more specific things um, like I might have a weekly regimen that I might try to hit. But like if that's not going to happen, there's other ways. And of course, you can use it. But the thing that is amazing is that once you're using it, it's you know, it's timing your practice, but you have a recorder that you can turn on and off as well as uh, you know a, a drone generator, a tuner, I'm sorry, a drone generator and a metronome and also a drone metronome. 
So like, for instance, instead of having like a and like a click over it and you're shedding, the thing could be going like, it's, it's interesting. You know? uh. But the, the thing that I think is most profoundly useful about this, and this ties back into the recording thing and the practicing is that um, you can, you can, you can record and, and not the way it's set up is that you record and that you don't save, but it's for immediate access. Yes. So you, uh. the, the whole idea, the concept that this guy, you know, came up with is like, well, you know, it's good to video yourself or record yourself or, you know, and to time your practice. If you want to log your stuff, you get into that whole thing. But the problem is when you have to switch between apps, yeah, it's, it, it's fucked up and it takes yeah, yeah. you out of stuff. And so this whole concept of this thing is that once you're in it, you don't leave it. You just, you're there and everything is on one screen. So Sounds like good. here, I've got it going. I could say here, I've got it going. Okay, now I just erased that and it's doing another one. Okay, now I just erased that and it's doing another one. Okay. And you could but have you, and you can have the back you can have the back in like the, the drone and the metronome going and whilst you do that. Totally. I can absolutely do that. Totally. I can absolutely do that. Um you can and then you can save so you can save your recordings and of course then they're all cataloged and they're in the cloud. Um, they're actually working on a thing where, where they're going to sync the, where it can even be sunk between devices. You can have it on different devices. Um, anyway, I'm not, mm. uh, I'm not getting any kickbacks from this product at all. It's just that there's nothing out there that, um, does it quite in this way. Mm. And, and the thing it's really all about, it's all about, it's all about the, the recording Yes. And that, you know, I've, I, I had a teacher that was very big on self analysis musically and listening to your recordings. And then mm -hmm. we had this protocol in the lesson where he would define a thing very clearly like, okay, we're going to do a minor blues. These are the changes. Um, it's going to have the thing where it's going to go to the major flat six in the middle and then back around. So these are the changes we're going to play and we're going to do five choruses and he would comp for me and he'd be like, you know, the construct of the solo is whisper, shout, scream. Hmm. And, you know, it wouldn't ever be things like, okay, I'm going to play this. Yeah. you know, these bebop licks, you know, although it, it could be, you know, but he was yeah. very more into the sort of more yeah. macro, yeah. you know, compositional type thing. Yeah. And so then we would do it and then play, not say a word. Then of course, because of technology being what it was, we had to go in the other room and then sit down. And then mm -hmm. he would sit there with me and we would listen back and he would yeah. say, okay, so how'd you do? Yeah. And then I would have to sort of critique myself, you know, mm. and, and he would offer little bits of uh, advice. But then we would immediately leave the room, go back in and do exactly the same thing again after having that tete-a-tete. <laughs> and then I would take a, he would burn a CD for me at the end of every lesson. And I would have 
sort of what, what I was going to work on that week, and I would have the recording of what I did in the lesson to listen to. And my, that is the, to this day, the, the most marked improvement in my playing, not just in my improvisation, but everything got better. My violin playing got better. Even my, my classical playing got better. You know, my, I was, I was just, everything got better. And, um, it's very hard to engineer outside of a lesson where there's a teacher that's just making you do that. It's been very hard for me to engineer that in my, in the practice room for myself. And I think like a lot of musicians, I also go through periods of time where I like, I'll record all, all gigs and I'll record my gig, but we all know, especially, you know, every gigging musician will tell you that it's hard to find time in a week to sit down and scroll through like three hours of your own recording. It's not, I mean, that is, I think it's really important to listen to how we're playing in public and, and with the audience and, and everything like that. But it's, it's too much, at least for me, it's too much to think that I'm, that this is something that I can do even every week, you know, or, or yeah. certainly every day. So this whole thing of like micro recording, mm. I had, I had thought about, and I'd probably heard other people talking about it, but the way that this app does it, it's like when, you know, you play and you just listen back immediately. And you just hear, you don't even, like the faster you do it, the less time you have to get down on yourself. You're just like, oh, I hear that. I'm playing C natural too sharp again. Do it again. And Mm -hmm. it's like immediate. And um, so in the same way of like working on this record of having a chance to really premeditate how I was going to improvise on these tunes. Yeah. What I want to, what I want to bring into my, violin practice this spring and summer is just a different approach um i see yeah of of that you know of of really creating like my practice was going to be creating recordings you know or creating a solo you know i tried this the other day i I was at my parents house like a couple of weeks ago kentucky and i had a an afternoon to myself and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do like, I'm going to basically improvise, but I'm going to compose. So I'm going to deliberately, you know, go back and refine and change things and stuff. I'm going to just do like a minor blues etude. (laughs) And I still haven't finished the last four bars. Right. This is to me a, a, a barrier this is this is a personal a personal barrier that um, I'm excited about. I, I don't find it oppressive. I've come up against it many times, but um, I think that through the pressure of the recording and just having to finish something for the recording, um, I learned that you know there is something really valuable there that I, I'd like to tap into, and so I think it's just going to get easier and easier, you know, in practice. The, I think that sort that app sounds like it's like perfect for, I think for like violinists. I think like anybody who has to think about their intonation. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a. I've been having to change the way I, I practice because I've been always like too. I've not been patient enough. 
So I end up practicing bad intonation habits into my own playing. And then your ear gets used to hearing those, that intonation. And then you're like, no pro, you know, then you, you, you've got worse ear for intonation than someone who plays a guitar because you're so used to hearing yourself out of tune. So I'm right. having to really, and what, but what's funny is like my ear isn't, I don't think your ear ever gets bad, but because as soon as you hear a recording of yourself, you hear everything, all of the problems, yeah. but when you're playing, you might not hear it. You might hear that. What I find, what I've noticed through time is that when I'm playing, when I first pick up the violin, I realize how out of tune I am. I think we often think that when we first pick up the violin, we're really out of tune because we're not warmed up. But I think some, at least with me, I, you know, I used to think that I used to think, Hey, you know, when I pick up the violin, I'm not warmed up, I'm out of tune. And then I get more and more in tune. And I think that might happen a little bit, but I think what also happens is my ear gets used to the bad intonation mm. and your ear goes, fair enough. It's like this. <laughs> I've, I've, I mean, this is not helping me this piano here. Cause it's, you know, it's out of tune. Uh -huh. It is out of tune. And, but you get used to the piano being out of tune. And the first time you play a chord, you're like, oh, maybe. And then a couple of months, a couple of minutes later, you're like, this is great. You know, yeah. I'm playing, a, I'm, I, this sounds lovely. And, and the ear gets used to things. So, and I've found that that, sorry, I, I'm going off one here, but great. I've found that recording helps that. You go, okay, yeah, fair enough. Sorry, sorry, international yes. gods. I did it. I fucked yes. it. I'll, I'll go. I'll do. I'll, and I know where my problem is. It's my first finger. It always skips back the way when I go up to third position. And I'll, I'll sort it out now. And then you start sorting it out. And then it gets better. You get better. And you go great. And then you have to come back. And then the whole thing happens again. It's so but true. The, um, but the, the thing that hinders you is record oh, maybe you're practicing with the drone maybe you're practicing with a metronome exactly the thing that you're saying then you're like okay well i'll get a metronome up on my laptop and then i'll record myself exactly yes and you know you'll do it once yeah but the and so so this guy the guy that that invented this app i think he's actually uh he's sort of out he's doing other stuff and i think he's sold the app but it's still being developed um well and uh he's very big into the whole idea of when we practice um getting into that flow state yes where you're it's a it's that thing of there's a certain amount of of critical thinking but there's also kind of an energy and a momentum and a concentration and he wanted to create something that would do as little to interfere with your concentration or like you know so there'd be very little task switching um and yeah i mean i love it I'm yeah so it's cool man to check it out yeah the modacity whatever they make whatever i'm supposed to pay i'll just pay it um I'll... <laughs> yeah, it's 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 rad man it's you know and i mean other things about it like so you know, if, if, if you've ever, if anybody out there has ever gotten in, in, into the quantified self movement, you know, if you like to wear a Fitbit ah. or an Apple Watch, you yeah. know, it's like in a certain way, if you actually use this thing as a tool, it, it's got all the information for you there. You know, like if you're, if you're logging in, it's like, you see 
what um, your habits are, what yeah. you're doing. That's cool. But you can get a little bit more granular um, in going in and then not only is it, it's not just showing you time like a timer, but it's showing you what you did in that time. And then also within each thing, uh, before you can go out of a screen to like end a, t end a, a task or a, you know, a tune you're playing or whatever, and you can define it however you want, but you have to rate your overall level of improvement or experience. Right. Um, and then you see that, do you? Yeah, I mean, and then of course it's up to you as to you know how honest you want to be, or if you just skip over it and give yourself five stars every time. But I'm quite bad for that. I'm quite bad for that sort of thing. I skip stuff with apps. Yeah, I you know there's there's certain. I mean, to me that thing, I I think philosophically, <laughs> or, or you know, and there's also a lot of the kind of like nouveau brain science behind yeah. the way that this is structured. Okay. I okay. I get it. I get it. But it's like. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I'm working, if I'm working on thirds, yeah, in harmonic minor, yeah, my stars are very rarely going to ever get above like two, two and a half. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, you know, I have one where, like, if I don't, if I'm not doing some sort of a protocol, but some days I just want to pick up my instrument and just play yeah. and see where yeah. it goes. Yeah. I finally realized, like, oh yeah, well, you can still use this. Just create. I just wrote one or created one called Session. Right. I just call it a session. Okay. I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm getting into right now. It's just Saturday and I did my shit. So I'm hitting session and now I'm just yeah. going to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's useful. That sounds cool. No, I'm just, no, I know like my use of like my fitness app and, and like, <laughs> you know, I, I used that Noom one because I wanted to uh, lose weight a little while ago. And like, I, and I, I, I just end up, I find, I hate, I don't like the stuff around it. I always just want the one thing. So um, I can imagine myself using it like that. I don't know. Maybe I'll get into the the because uh, I guess you know it's like like you're saying if it's like if it's like Noom or whatever you've got you know you've got to sort of get into the vibe of the whole thing. There's, it's like a sort of it's it's not no it's less like Noom because I I know I know about Noom and it's like it's it definitely does not have a program. It is a okay. It is, it is an open ended. Tool. okay cool right yeah and it's and it's certainly it doesn't even have anything set up in fact i've seen other practice apps out there where it's like and here's your your technical portion right you know it's like yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it is a it's a blank slate ah, cool okay nice yeah it's and you for can you to do it's right. for you it's for you to figure out how you want to use it but it's all nice. there and oh, cool i actually even found that you know what i did i've gone through periods of time where i've been too overly specific Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can be too much of a control kind of, you know, granular. And it's like, that's just a waste of time and energy, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, so I find that like my topics of, you know, like I've gone from things where, you know, I have just like all of these, you know, different things. This might be like a technical exercise or it might be a song I'm working on or something like that. This is over yeah. like five years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but then I found that um, the way that I'm using it now, I don't know if you can see this. Is it is it reversed? Uh, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's good. So I've got yeah, no, so I've got like money. So you can save these. You can also save playlists. So you can save sets, playlists, or like routines or whatever you want to do. Mm. So I found this year that the most useful thing for me to do is just set up a basic like Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. sort of a thing if I'm kind of doing 
you know, yeah. if I if I have enough time to kind of, you know, hit all the things. Mm -hmm. And if not, I have that one called session that I just hit. And the other thing that I've, I've found really helpful is that I can, I tell all my students, you know, you got to keep a practice notebook. And I believe in a practice notebook so much, but I'm also the first person to admit that I go through phases mm -hmm. of when I'm, sometimes I'm in it and sometimes I'm not. And I've found that more and more I have, uh, I'm not spending the energy. I just don't have as much energy. <laughs> I don't have as much time or energy to sit down and like write, it out. write down for 15 minutes about, you know, everything that happened in the practice session. Yeah. So I'm using the voice note thing of this of like when I'm, if I'm in the session, if I'm working on a tune, I'm just like, Oh, you know, I'm still having that problem of going from the second ending into the bridge. I'm not getting those changes. I'm going to work on that tomorrow. And then I can just save it and I've got it um, yeah. as the note, which is helpful because, it, again, it just helps me um, record my actual thought in the moment. Yeah. And I, I also love the fact that it's set up for impermanent recording. So yes. it's not... It's not, you know, and also the recordings are low quality. They don't sound mm -hmm. amazing, but they're also not taking up a huge amount of space on your yes. phone, like very yeah. little. But I love that it's set up to not do that. It's like set up to like, well, you're really just supposed to listen back and then just move on yeah, unless yeah. there's something that you really want to save. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the record, keeping the recordings is not, is not a big part of it. No, I mean, you, I mean, it's it, like, you, know, you can hit save and then it will catalog it. Great, but yeah, it's it's like it doesn't catalog. ask you to do that every time. If you hit the recording button again, then whatever you just recorded will be gone unless you uh -huh. saved it. Yes. So yeah, it's just another. I mean, these things. We uh, we saw. I was talking. Who I was talking to? Miguel. Do you know Miguel Atwood Ferguson? Yeah. Okay. He's really into like keeping a record of what he's doing and it's this this keeping records is a good thing for us because we do so much work and we th we spend so much of our time on this thing and it just goes yeah and it just disappears and you can't you don't have anything to show for it and like we're quite and his his comes back to his point his point was that we are material beings like we're made of stuff and we like stuff <laughs> we do and as much as we like to pretend that we're not if we're that you know if we're like we're like artists so we pretend that we don't like stuff you know i, I don't care about stuff <laughs> i care about concepts but actually you know we do we just like stuff don't we so it's nice to have this thing that you're like i've done this work and now i have this thing and if even if it's just the app saying like you did five years you've got five years of work on it do you ever just look at it and go yeah do you like just look <laughs> through your stuff like yeah i look scroll at all your I, practice i just i just see i see you know hundreds of things that like i never really saw to uh you know <laughs> the uh, point of completion uh yeah no. but it, do you not look do you, do you ever but i'm asking you really do you ever look at it and just go like oh nice like just i did that or whatever I don't know if I think that, although I appreciate that sentiment. Um, it does, it is actually really nice to, I mean, if I scroll through this, I'm very often reminded of things that were important enough to me at a certain point that I got them in there. Nice, yeah. 
You know what I mean? And it's like, oh man, you know, what is this here? Um, wow, this I dig of you. I haven't thought of that solo for a long time. Right. But like, wow, that is a great solo. That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, it's it's cool. I mean, I'm always a little nervous about um, investing too much of of any of my thing yeah in an app that could just disappear or, or just yeah know, yeah not not be usable on the device i've got for yeah. some reason um but uh you also have the it's very very easy to download all of your all of your data off of yeah. this uh which is cool i try to i try to make a make a habit of that um yeah nice. it, it's weird but you know at the same time I have to challenge myself when I think about that because, you know, you could have entire college, entire conservatories worth of uh, practice notes and all of your lessons from your teacher in a, in a couple of different notebooks and then you could just, lose those it. could just burn up. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you yeah, can yeah. Lose them, or they yeah. can be in a flood or whatever. And then, you know, it's gone. So, yeah. Yeah. You just spill coffee, too much coffee on one coffee. of your notebooks. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> hey i better get going it's been amazing to chat to you and i like how this was going to be like because it was my idea was nice. that this was going to be like you know i would just quickly talk about this record and then i'll see you later i don't want to take up too much of your time not and possible now we've done two hours yeah it's fine it's great sometime you should it. have you should have a you know a meal with with me and my parents and then you'll you think i'm bad <laughs> you'll you'll see what's up you'll see <laughs> That's excellent. No, I don't think it's bad. I think it's good. Um, nice one, man. Nice to chat. And, nice chat uh, with you. Yeah, I hope to um, hope to see you soon. Hey, thanks so much for listening today, guys. It's been a pleasure talking at you. It was a pleasure to talk with Zach Brock. And it is always a pleasure to create a podcast for you, my loyal listeners. Um, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. And you can also get involved in my practice club. I told you all about that earlier, didn't I? You probably know all about it anyway. I've been very busy. It's been a good couple of months. I am currently putting together some stuff some writing i'm writing some music i'm writing some music for my own band but i've also been writing some music for a singer of mine helping to uh, orchestrate her music anyway so that's been great more of that to come later i don't know i'll just speak to you soon um yeah have a great uh have a great rest of your day or night whatever time it is that you're listening and uh yeah get in touch if you've got any questions, anything that you want to say about the podcast, have any um, anything you want to ask, uh, say, get in touch and w I will address it on the podcast, I promise. Well, it depends what you ask, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm up for it anytime. All right. Nice to uh, chat at you. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>